This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, that's me. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, hope you're having a marvelous day. Uh, we were just having this chat. You and I spoke about this earlier in the week, Claudette, but we are just having this chat in the VOCM newsroom and saying, you know what? It's four o'clock and I can still see daylight. That's pretty encouraging, right? isn't it? Days are definitely lengthening out a bit. And um, uh, I noticed even driving home yesterday after the show, and this was after five o'clock, and you could still see that glimpse. Dusky, mm-hmm. yeah, dusky light in the sky. So, yes, and we haven't seen that in the a little while, a couple of weeks anyway. So yeah, very encouraging. Now, the further north you go, the later you're going to see that transition. But then all of a sudden, it's all daylight. <sighs> One Have you dream. ever traveled up north and in, encountered any of that, either the extended dark or the extended daylight? No, just vicariously through my sister, who um, was a little bit of a travel nurse for a little bit. And uh, she went up north and yeah, the you have to keep everything closed because she she was up when it was all dark and up when it was all light. So you can just imagine the differences. I can't. Have you? No, um, yeah. but uh, like you, um, I have someone very close to me who lived for a time in Whitehorse and mm-hmm. and found that very difficult to adjust to? adjust to, yeah. especially the daylight hours. I mean, you think of that as great, but it's really difficult to rest, especially oh. your getting your circadian rhythm adjusted to that if you don't always live uh, you know with those types of transitions or lack of transition if you will you just reminded me of something um, because you know daylight you think it wouldn't be such a big deal but in the community she was in there was this gigantic siren that you would hear that would be almost equivalent to war times you'd hear this really jarring sound in the community and the reason why it was uh, I think it went around 10 p.m. somebody can uh, you know let me know if the time is wrong but say it went at 10 o'clock this really jarring alarm that went off in the community it was to remind the kids to come home oh wow because I mean they would be out playing all night but I mean they have to go to school the next day and and so you need to be reminded to come home uh, at that hour because isn't that amazing yeah yeah yeah, and and makes perfect sense for anybody who's never encountered that kind of thing before yeah amazing Uh, but you know uh, that's what it is spinning around (laughs) <laughs> spinning around the sun uh, and and then you get you go to places like Florida you know where it's basically the same length of day give or take you know a short period of time but uh, basically the same length of day summer or winter they don't now really that have that nice. change yeah. that would be nice but you know if it gets dark at seven that's it it gets dark at seven right. I don't know what time mm-hmm. it gets dark in Florida I can't remember tell you I yeah. was very very young last time I was in Florida so uh, but um, yeah whereas we get till depending <laughs> on where you are in the summer months nine something nine thirty ten ten thirty you know depending on where you are do you remember double daylight savings time yes i remember double <laughs> now i, I wasn't about that in the province that summer oh, but really? oh my goodness have i amazing. heard stories <laughs> yeah so i'm told 
So I'm told, all those cucumbers, so <laughs> needing all that sunlight. <laughs> um, yeah, double daylight savings time. Uh, would you uh, welcome something like that back? Oh, you know, I never say never, but yeah, I probably would. Well, although the, 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 I was much younger when I was going through that, so would I want that now? I would probably still be in bed. <laughs> I don't need to stay up as long as I did when I was a lot younger. The argument, of course, at the time was that, you know, we were so off the, you know, we're already an hour and a half for the island anyway, right. and an hour in uh, Labrador. We're all, uh, already ahead of central Canada, you know, an mm-hmm. hour and a half or an hour. Uh, and so that put us... Even, even less in sync, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. So that, uh, I guess, became uh, problematic for, especially when you're trying to do business, business. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think that was one of the arguments used at the time. But, but anyway. as a teenager or people in their 20s, it was good. Right? <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> 10 30, 11, 11 30, let's go. Um, anyway, yeah, interesting. If anyone has any thoughts on that, they can certainly give us a call. Well, um, as you know, uh, Claudette, we've been carrying this story for quite some time graffiti has become a real problem throughout the northeast avalon not just in st john's in the downtown where it's getting a lot of the attention because it's so prolific but throughout the region and uh, it's causing of course headaches and added expense for area businesses not the least of which is the fact that it's just an eyesore because i think when we talk about the concept of graffiti we often think of street art Right. And there's a big difference. Oh, huge difference. I love the street art. Yeah. And there's some cities that really know how to encourage and exploit street art to the extent of being like a tourism draw and that sort of thing. Look what's happening in Botwood, for goodness sake, with the murals. Stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is just senseless scribbling or and some obscenities, of obscenities offensive things pictures and tags yeah and yeah little graphics <laughs> i think we all know what the graphic is yes <laughs> you know you see it in any grade three textbook right <laughs> That's the extent of the artistic um, merit uh, applied there. But um, there are a group of young men, uh, Jack Boland, Jacob Shepard, and Brandon Ivey, who have formed a company to help get rid of unwanted tags and obscenities. They're known as the Scrub Squad. Well, VFCM's Jerry Lynn Mackey recently had this absolutely charming and uh, very informative uh, interview with two-thirds of the Scrub Squad, Jack Boland and Jacob Shepard. We're a local property maintenance company, so we help homeowners and small businesses combat either just some grime, graffiti, any any exterior maintenance duties. We can do painting, gutter cleaning, landscaping, anything you need done, we can assist with that. Jacob, have you noticed an increase in the calls to remove graffiti? Uh, yeah, for sure. Over the past year or so, we've, we've just seen a lot of graffiti has been happening. And uh, that's the reason why we started our business. We kind of came in at the right time. You know, the police are also investigating a lot of stuff like that. And we've seen an increase, especially downtown. That's a lot of the calls that we get. Uh, but in terms of, like, right now, we don't get a lot of graffiti calls. It's, you know, cold winter and stuff like that. But uh, in the summer, we were booming. We were removing a lot of graffiti downtown, especially. Downtown is the hot spot, is it? it very much so, yes. Uh, this is where people like to go, for sure. What do you attribute the increase in graffiti to? Uh, I would say it's a, a mix of like probably online culture. I feel like since the internet's becoming more popular, like short form content, a lot of people are seeing 
graffiti and stuff like that, and they're becoming inspired. I would assume it's something like that. Uh, could just be people in school, or just um, just wanting to cause a little bit of havoc. Maybe could just be just mischief, probably. And is it also maybe tagging as well? Yes. Yeah, so we've seen people like to do tags. So what tags are? People like to come up with some sort of design or a name and try to plaster it on as much places as possible to get their to get their name out there. It's kind of like a popularity game of some sorts. They try to like one up each other on how much they can they can vandalize. Jacob, walk me through it now from the moment you get a call to, you know, the actual removal of the graffiti. Well, the surface varies. So if we get a call, let's just say for this brick wall we have here, uh, we will come down right away. We'll bring our pressure washer and our bare brick and stone and masonry chemicals. And what we'll do is apply our first coat on there. We'll agitate it. And then we'll apply a second coat a few minutes later and do the same thing. And then our third coat. And then after that's all done, we'll pressure wash it off because all the paint will be loose and it won't affect the wall. We have eco-friendly chemicals as well. So the wall will stay the same and it'll be completely fine. Otherwise, the graffiti would just be all gone. So it just, it kind of just takes the paint off the wall. So then when we pressure wash it, it just washes it off. What do you hear from people who call Jack and they're, you know, kind of upset about facing vandalism? Uh, we hear all types of complaints. Obviously, there's the first thing, the most obvious thing, which is the visual litter that graffiti has on people's buildings. Obviously, if you're a business owner, graffiti can literally take money out of your pockets, not just for the cost to remove, but uh, people can be t uh, deterred from your business because obviously it could look like there's more crime in the area. It's a little bit sketchy, you know what I mean? You want to have your business as clean as possible so it's more welcoming. Jacob, how does it impact local businesses that this graffiti is turning up on a more regular basis? Well, you see, a local business, like in terms of local businesses, it's it's very expensive to get graffiti removed. As for corporations, it might be easier for them to pay for it, but uh, local businesses, it's pretty costly, and sometimes they don't want to get it removed, and, and when they can't afford it or if they just don't want to, um, it just causes a, um, a deterrent from everyone who wants to go there, correct? And what about the authorities? Are you guys working with the authorities or the city on any front when it comes to graffiti, Jack? Over the past uh, just about a year we've been in business, we've, we've tried to get in contact with the city multiple times, although they don't seem too concerned from their response they've given us about it. Uh, we've been very upfront. We've been trying to contact them, and there's, there's not much that, come, that has come from them. Tell me about the reaction, you know, after you do restore a property or business, what do people say, you know, once it's all clean? There's a lot of amazement. I mean, like some, some jobs we've done, they, you know, they've been, they've been perfect and people are very appreciative of it and they, they like what we do. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of good feedback and it feels really good to get it's a sense of fulfillment. So there you go, Jack Boland, Jacob Shepard, and um, Brandon Ivey uh, doing their part to uh, help uh, address this growing problem, uh, particularly on the Northeast Avalon, but it's, uh, it's proliferated right around the world. And um, uh, it is a bit of a eyesore and scourge it is too especially where newfoundland is so beautiful but then you know you see something really really obscene and it just takes takes it away from mother nature i love the fact that they do eco-friendly chemicals as well yeah nice. for sure and uh, of course the cost to businesses is extraordinary i mean uh, you could have um something on your wall uh, put there over in the overnight hours and when you arrive at work here you are facing whatever uh, have it cleaned off and it's just something is back there the next day in one case there was somebody who just went with a spray can and just went yeah with one single one line, line yeah right along all along the road so i mean 
you know it's off-putting to customers and then that can change it and turn into a loss of revenue as well as as the the boys just uh, pointed out and uh, if they do sound young yes because they are uh, one of them um and jerry lynn did tell me who and i forget which one of the three uh is 16 years old so i mean uh, good on them i love a story where uh, young people are making a difference well coming up the pub will tomorrow apply new increases to the cost of fuel resulting from the federal government's clean fuel regulations. We'll get federal conservative leader Pierre Poilievre's take on that when we come back. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we are back. Uh, Well, the federal government's new clean fuel regulations will be applied to the regulated price of gas and other fuels in Newfoundland and Labrador. Starting tomorrow, federal conservative leader Pierre Pierre Poiliev joins us now. Well, good afternoon and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you. Great to be with you. So on Thursday, the new clean fuel regulations uh, will be applied to uh, fuels in Newfoundland and Labrador. What is the Conservative Party of Canada's uh, take on all of that? It's yet another Trudeau tax. You're, all, you're already aware of the carbon tax, whereby Justin Trudeau is taxing your gas, diesel, and everything that's brought to you by truck, ship, or train. But now there's this so-called fuel standard, which also adds prices, price hikes on top of the carbon tax. Thursdays will be one more step. Uh, and when you add up the Thursday price increase or tax increase uh, with the pre-existing carbon tax, uh, it takes us to around 17 cents a liter. Now stack the sales tax on those taxes, and we're up to 20 cents a liter in Trudeau taxes on your gas, your diesel, and indirectly on everything brought to you by truck, train, or ship. So um, what sort of um, uh, pressure has the Conservative Party been put in, putting on uh, the federal government in, in having this addressed, and what are the options? Very simple. The common sense conservative plan is to axe all the Trudeau taxes, the carbon tax, the fuel standard, and the lower gas prices by 20 cents a liter, rather than going forward with tripling those taxes, which is what Trudeau and the Liberals plan to do. It's important to be clear that he's not done. This is just one more increase in a long plan to bring the carbon and fuel standard taxes up to 61 cents a liter. So he's going to add another 40 cents on top of the 20 cents in taxes he's already imposed on Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. But a common sense conservative government led by Pierre Polyev will axe the taxes to bring home lower prices. One of the criticisms here is that, uh, you know, the, there's a, a, a push towards um, uh, moving away from, um, you know, carbon emitting uh, technologies like, you know, the combustion engine and that sort of thing. But a lot of people wondering where are the alternatives and, and where is the infrastructure uh, coming from? So, uh, you know, have any of those questions been addressed? No, they, they haven't so far. Trudeau and the Liberals are punishing Newfoundlanders and Labradorians for the crime of driving to work 
of uh, buying groceries that have to be shipped by truck, train, and and uh, vessel. Uh, and those penalties come without alternatives. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Uh, you can't drive an electric truck through over 500 kilometers in rural Newfoundland. Uh, you can't uh, count on uh, these vehicles to work when it's minus 35 degrees, and there aren't the charging stations or even the supply of electricity to power them. So effectively, this is penalizing and punishing the people of Newfoundland and Labrador without giving them any alternatives. Uh, the common sense conservative approach is to axe the tax, to bring home lower prices, and to green light more hydroelectricity, uh, more mining of uh, electric minerals like lithium, cobalt, and copper, and others, uh, and also to produce our oil and gas more efficiently and environmentally friendly than any other place on Earth. That's a common-sense plan to protect the environment and the pocketbook. So carbon tax obviously uh, dominated political discussion in 2023. It's continuing to do so, but what else do you expect is going to come to the fore in the coming year? Well, Justin Trudeau continues to push to ban hunting rifles. Uh, that would uh, obviously be an attack on the way of life of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who uh, do uh, enjoy harvesting nature for protein. Uh, hunting is a way, part of a way of life in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, and uh, Conservatives are going to reverse these bans on hunting rifles. And We know that sports shooters and hunters are not the problem. We should put repeat violent offenders in prison. Uh, so uh, then we need to restore some fiscal responsibility. The doubling of the national debt and the massive growth in money printing deficits has driven inflation to 40-year highs. And that means Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are cho choosing between eating and heating after eight years of Trudeau. My common sense plan would cut waste and cap spending to balance the budget so we can bring down inflation and interest rates. Do you expect a, a general election will be called in the coming year? Hard to say. I have no control over that because the costly coalition of Justin Trudeau and the NDP have a combined majority in the House of Commons they can use to stay in power for almost two more years. And that's to the great detriment of uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians as they must pay higher taxes and face uh, worse and worse inflation as the radical environmental agenda of uh, Trudeau and NDP shuts down the oil and gas sector. Uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are paying the price through lost jobs and wages and through higher taxes. But can the common sense conservatives will continue to fight to axe the tax, to balance the budget, pay less and bring home more? Conservative leader Pierre Proliev, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Let's bring it home. And Pierre Poiliev is calling from Ottawa. Well, we have a uh, accident just occurred moments ago on the Outer Ring Road, westbound lane between the Pippi Park and Team Guju turnoffs. Um, a bit of a fender bedder, we're told. One vehicle is uh, still in the left lane, just occurred moments ago, uh, according to VOCM's Claudette Barnes, who just took a call in the control room. Yeah, and I asked about conditions. Um, the conditions are fine out there driving right now, so that's not 
not going to be a, a, an issue. It's just that it's going to be slow in the area. Yeah, and if the vehicle is still there in the lane uh, before it gets moved to the side, I suppose, you're not possibly going to expect to see that right <laughs> as you're yeah. trundling around along thinking about uh, supper and heading home and uh, you know getting back uh, to the uh, warmth of your uh, home and hearth <laughs> so uh, yeah uh, be please be careful uh, if you're traveling out there Outering Road westbound lane uh, between the Pippi Park and Team Guju Highway turnoffs um, a little bit of a fender bender there in one of the vehicles as of just a few minutes ago was still in the left lane. So uh, use some caution when you're approaching the area and you could encounter some slowdowns in that area as well. Well, uh, we just heard from the federal conservative leader uh, talking about um, the new clean fuel regulations, which will be applied to the regulated price of uh, oil and gas here in Newfoundland and Labrador starting tomorrow. But um, we all know about this uh, push uh, away from uh, carbon fuels and the green economy will Memorial University's Earth Sciences Department conducting research on uh, Newfoundland and Labrador's critical mineral potential as the province eyes opportunities in the green economy. This is News Talk on VOCM. We'll have details on that right after the news with VOCM's Noah Shepard. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Well, thanks, Noah and Claudette. Um, the a fishing trawler out of Nova Scotia, the Northern Osprey 3, is docked in Black Tickle today after um, reportedly taking on water. Well, VOCM's Brian Callahan just moments ago got off the phone with Phil Walker, the superintendent of Maritime Search and Rescue with the Canadian Coast Guard, with this update. I'll let you take me through it. What what uh, what are the details you can tell me about this incident? Roger. Okay. So on uh, Sunday around 11 a.m., uh, Marine Rescue Subcenter St. John's was notified by the 260-foot uh, uh, fishing vessel Northern Osprey Three that uh, was taking on water uh, off Black Tickle, Labrador. Uh, there were 30 people and are 30 people on board the boat. Uh, the vessel proceeded into Porcupine Bay, a sheltered area out of the wind. Uh, it was uh, taking on water through a, a valve uh, that protrudes through the hull about 12 feet below the waterline. Okay. And uh, the master was concerned uh, with the position of that leak. Uh, they did conduct uh, damage control on that valve and were able to sort of hold back the uh, inflow of water, uh, but weren't able to completely stop it. So we did task uh, Coast Guard and CAF, uh, Canadian Air Forces aircraft uh, and ship to that area. There was also um, a fishing vessel, uh, Keshishuk 2, that were very close by, so they responded as well. Uh, no external help was required at that point. Uh, the ship has been there since then, and today they're, uh, they've got divers uh, up in the water uh, rendering an exterior repair, uh, which should allow them to transit down to uh, St. John's or uh, St. Anthony uh, to be determined. Do we know what uh, brought on the incident in the first place or what caused the, the uh, take on the water? 
Uh, just it was a. We're not sure, other than we know it was a crack in the actual piping. Okay. Uh, which it, it would be very typical for uh, for most vessels, uh, you know, metal uh, fatigue yeah. or movement. So at this point, uh, just to uh, just to review, where is the vessel right now, and are the crew all on board, or have, have they been able to uh, disembark and stay anywhere on land, or what's the situation there, do you, or do you know? No, we do for sure. The crew uh, have been on board the entire time, and uh, they check in every couple of hours. Uh, we do have the Canadian Coast Guard ship Teleost on scene with them, and it's been there since Monday, and uh, it's standing by for any assistance. Uh, and basically, um, that's it. They're they're in good shape overall, and the leak uh, damage control has held the entire time. And once they do this exterior repair, uh, it's an interim repair, but it'll certainly uh, take care of any other water, and then they can make their way down. Do they do any uh, any extra level of inspection before they can be on their way again? So I think the big piece would be that the master of the vessel feels the, the watertight integrity of the vessel is intact. And, you know, he can make that with the engineering staff on board. They can make that call themselves. And basically, you know, just to visualize if you had a leaky hose and you were able to shut the water off uh, so that it's not leaking anymore, that would be the indication. And then when they get down, they'll obviously have to uh, take care of it uh you know, when the ship's out of the water, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, their destination. So are, are you familiar with their itinerary from here on, or will they complete back? What's their home port again? So they normally would land in uh, North Sydney, Nova Scotia. Uh, but uh, I know they routinely also land in St. Anthony. That may be a part of their plan. My last I had heard early this morning was St. John's was the uh, intended area. Oh, okay. And any ETA there? Uh, not at this time, we don't know. Okay. And they were just wondering, uh, you know, sorry all the questions, but I'm just curious, what were they doing? What was, uh, were they um, engaged in, or was it all factory freezer? Yeah, she's a factory freezer. Uh, they were not fishing. They were, in fact, steaming, just uh, transiting. And uh, obviously something happened in rougher weather. So that is the Superintendent of Maritime Search and Rescue with the Canadian Coast Guard, Phil Walker, uh, providing an update on the Northern Osprey 3. A fishing trawler, Factor Freeze, a trawler out of North Sydney, Nova Scotia. Looks like her next uh, port of call will likely be St. John's as they try to uh, uh, troubleshoot that uh, ingress of water is currently taking shelter in Porcupine Bay. So a little update for you there now. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll, uh, share that story with you about uh, Memorial University's Earth Sciences Department conducting research on Newfoundland and Labrador's critical mineral potential uh, coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back on uh, VOCM News Talk. Well, uh, two Bunn professors are working on research to identify the province's potential for critical minerals, a field of geoscience that's poised to grow substantially in the years ahead as the globe moves away from hydrocarbons. Dr. Steve Denishin and Dr. Michael Babichuk of Memorial University's Earth Sciences Department join me now. Well, good afternoon. Hello. Good afternoon, Mike Babichuk speaking. Hi, and I'm Steve Denison. Great. So uh, you're joining me now from Memorial University. And, of course, there's been a lot of emphasis now on critical minerals and uh, um, finding ways to increase exploration here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's something you're both uh, currently researching. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work. 
Uh, well, um, to start, we, we kind of serve different roles that kind of tie into this critical minerals uh, chain. Some of my work um, involves ways that we can detect fingerprints of where critical mineral deposits may be through using uh, sediments, um, waters uh, that might help us to constrain where they may be upstream. Uh, and we also, uh, in our research group, develop new analytical methods to be able to refine uh, our measurements of how much critical mineral abundance there are in mineralized rocks and unmineralized rocks and refine how we can kind of uh, gather that information more, more effectively. Yeah, Steve here. Yeah, so I am uh, mostly interested in determining uh, the timing of, let's say, geological processes. So when did these rocks form? Where were they when they formed relative to other ones or in different parts of the world? That are, because it's important to remember that uh, the geology of Newfoundland and Labrador you know, covers over a billion years of history. And a lot has happened to the Earth over this time. And so I'm, my research tracks, tracks the, sort of the evolution of the province in its geological history through time. You know, it used to be part of supercontinents. There used to be different volcanic activity, and maybe that's related to the development of ore deposits too. So that's that's my role in in sort of the larger critical mineral strategy that we've got going on here at Munn. We all know about uh, iron here in Newfoundland and Labrador, but what other uh, types of uh, mineral deposits uh, are in abundance? Well, uh, according to the Canadian standards for critical minerals, we've got a, a federal scale list of 31 of them. And when we talk about critical minerals, it's important to point out that, you know, when we say minerals as geologists, we usually mean sort of, you know, mineral minerals as opposed to elements, which are things like, you know, nickel and vanadium and niobium and other things that have been under this critical minerals umbrella. But at any rate, uh, Canada has defined 31 of these as critical and Newfoundland hosts 25 of them. So it's a, it's a shorter list of the ones that we don't have here. So great and potential all, by the sounds of it. Oh, absolutely. Most of those uh, quote-unquote minerals that we're talking about, things like nickel and cobalt and niobium, these are all the elements that are going... Well, the reason they're critical is that they are fueling our drive towards what we've been calling a green economy. Right, things like electric vehicle batteries, things like wind turbines, things like you know other ways of uh, generating a low carbon future. For all of these things, it all means fundamentally more mining, but of these very specific minerals, and that's why they've been labeled critical. So you're right; there's a lot of potential here on the island and in Labrador in particular. Yeah, and some of the exciting areas now, uh, what's kind of known and established here is um, the, the iron ore, uh, mostly in Labrador West. Um, but there's also nickel, uh, cobalt, copper associated with Voices Bay. Uh, that's been in production for quite some time. But there's a lot of uh, new mineral potential in southern Labrador for rare earth elements. Uh, there's also a lot of active exploration for uh, lithium, cesium, tantalum in southern Newfoundland um, uh, near Burgio. Uh, and there's other deposits, uh, volcanogenic massive sulfide deposits with potential for other uh, copper resources, cobalt resources. Uh, and right now it's ex an exciting time to kind of corral um, kind of collaborations between the government, um, Memorial University, and, and the industries that are actively on the ground uh, doing this type of exploration for these new deposits, right? And it, it paints a picture of the um, kind of the potential future for 
where mines could be developed, whether or not they will, it will be developed is determined through a long stage of process. But uh, uh, our geoscientists uh, that, that we kind of train at Memorial are involved um, in the earliest stages of the overall critical mineral cycle, which is uh, really the exploration, uh, the development of a mine and refinement of information at the mine scale, uh, and then potentially also even revisiting older mine wastes uh, for uh, for further recovery of additional um, critical minerals. And that, that that's also a, an area of, of, of further uh, expansion with potential in the province here too. So what are you hoping to achieve through this research? Um, well, a lot of our, our, our kind of goals are academic driven in terms of trying to understand rocks and processes better and how that ties into kind of our, the evolution of the earth. Um, but a lot of our, our research is kind of tied to uh, instrumentation and how we collect data um, is really one of our, one of our goals is to kind of set the stage for modernization of how we uh, acquire, uh, train, and kind of prepare the future generation for how to use the type of analytical instrumentation uh, and how we can kind of improve the quality of data and how it ties to the, the initiatives and the, the goals of other agencies in the province, such as the provincial government uh, or uh, mining and uh, mineral exploration companies themselves. So uh, we have kind of overlapping goals in a lot of cases, um, but, but, but really through some of our research, it's to, uh, um, to kind of d- Within our expertise, tap into how we uh, understand specific sets of processes or specific deposits uh, or specific geological phenomenon. Yeah, and maybe at sort of the, the larger scale, when you think about our objectives here, as Mike points out, you know, we are looking to advance our abilities to uh, to measure things properly, to do these kinds of analyses, to advance our understanding of how the earth works and how it evolves and why and how these critical mineral deposits are where they are. And that leads to real growth, I think, within the province, because as we were saying, there's a real abundance of these elements in the, in the province, really high potential for growth. There's already something like 10,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians involved in the mining sector. Uh, and so there's a real opportunity to develop the wealth that the that the geology of this province contains and that gets tapped by training students here to to make those discoveries for the future and to develop the tools that we need to make those discoveries now for the future what kind of a role is uh, mun's earth sciences department playing in gaining a better understanding of geoscience uh, here in newfoundland and labrador uh, that's a, that's a, a great question. There's um, a lot of mineral deposits in the past, and it's a rich history here as well, are kind of uh, through traditional prospecting methods. Um, but practicing geoscientists uh, in Canada have to be professionally licensed to undertake certain types of processes. Our uh, undergraduate program basically prepares students with kind of the core skills uh, needed to be a, um, a skilled kind of hands-on geoscientist, understand uh, rocks and their um, basically their their context within how they formed, uh, and then use that in a way that's kind of trained at the mine scale to um, to, to you know or the exploration scale to to apply that knowledge uh, to help with either further exploration or understand a mineral deposit. Um, at the graduate level, we have programs where our students typically contribute to more refined expertise, whether it be related to a deposit or a type of method uh, or um, an advanced kind of original contribution into uh, geoscience um, 
uh, a knowledge base. Um, but that's really kind of the goal, the goals of our programs. But a lot of uh, the geoscientists practicing in the pro in the province have either an undergraduate or a graduate degree from Memorial University. Um, and I, I don't know the exact numbers offhand, but I think it's over maybe 80% of the practice, at least 80%. 80% of the practi practicing geologists in the province registered with uh, Paganel, which is the Professional uh, Engineering and Geoscience um, Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, are uh, our, our students that have gone through our geoscience programs at, at Memorial University. And it's also worth pointing out that in, when we think about how, uh, how our own research works, is that a lot of that comes in collaboration, both with partners at the government level. So, for example, the Newfoundland and Labrador Geological Survey, but also industry partners. So we're working, you know, hand in glove with industry partners and government partners to try to advance our understanding with a very specific goal of uh, identifying uh, critical mineral deposits. And so what we're, what we're sort of working towards here is the modernization and advancement of our analytical infrastructures so that we can keep playing that really important role of providing fundamental geoscience data for these partners that are all working towards an increasingly common goal of identifying and exploiting critical mineral deposits in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'll ask you a more personal question now, but what uh, drew or attracted both of you to uh, Newfoundland and Labrador and Memorial University in particular? Well, uh, for, for me, Steve here, uh, is for me what it was is a combination both of a genuinely world-class concentration of geoscientists here at MUN. The Earth Sciences Department is one of the top ones in Canada. Uh, we have... Uh, such a high level of expertise, such a high level of uh, scientific capability here. And we're in a physical place that uh, is really defined by its geology, right? Uh, as I was saying, you know, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador has billions of years of Earth history, and it's all right at, our, uh, right at our feet. It's all exposed, and it's waiting to be studied. So it's a really rich natural laboratory, and Memorial as a place to to do that study is a really extraordinary opportunity for me. Yeah, and uh, um, Mike here, I can echo a lot of the same sentiment um, of, of Steve in terms of the history here. I had known of Memorial University for its, uh, the former researchers that were in our department and their contributions into uh, geochemistry, uh, my specific field. But beyond that, um, I did some of my studies in Ireland. My wife is Irish from Waterford. Um, I quite liked uh, the notion of, of basically living in a place very much reminiscent of the west coast of Ireland uh, and entrenched with the, the same type of Irish culture, um, particularly in the music, the arts, the humor. Um, and uh, yeah, I quite like that there is a cultural uniqueness to Newfoundland that is uh, irreplaceable and um, uh, basically not replicated anywhere else across Canada. So uh, it really is a, a unique place to, to, to live and work and uh, I'm uh, happy for that each and every day. So. Gentlemen, I, I congratulate you on your research work. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to share it with us. And uh, no doubt we'll be hearing more from you as your work continues. Uh, thank you both. Well, thank you. Thank you, yeah.
And uh, that is uh, Dr. Steve Denishin and uh, Dr. Michael Babichuk of Memorial University's Earth Sciences Department, uh, both um, working on research in um, critical minerals here in Newfoundland and Labrador. A little update on that crash on the Team Guju, westbound between Pippi Park and uh, Team Guju turnoffs. Uh, an ambulance arrived on the scene j- just a short while ago. Traffic now backed up well past uh, Portugal Cove road so you're going to experience some uh, serious slowdowns in that particular area if you're heading uh, westbound on the Team Guju uh, sorry on the Outer Ring Road this hour. And of course as more people take uh, other roads to detour then it's going to cause slower down in other parts of the city as yes, well. Yes, so you can expect to see uh, a lot of those collector roads and that uh, starting to uh, back up as well. If you're wondering what's going on with the traffic, there's your answer. A bit of a, uh, a crash on the um, uh, Outer Ring Road uh, be, uh, westbound between uh, Pippi Park and the Team Guju turnoff. Uh, ambulance and emergency crews just arrived on the scene a short while ago. Traffic now backed up westbound uh, beyond Portugal Cove Road. So uh, if you're planning on taking uh, that is that your regular route you might want to reconsider <laughs> and expect some slowdowns wherever you may go well I'm no um, scientist <laughs> but uh, from the bit that I've read and I uh, take great interest in these matters it seems to me as though megafauna don't generally do well uh, when it comes to changes in climate megafauna being super big animals like I don't know, dinosaurs or woolly mammoths or, you know, woolly rhinoceros or whatever the case may be. You know, the bigger animals require more when it comes to sustenance and that sort of thing. So if there's changes and the types of food that they're adapted to eating uh, no longer available, they generally don't do well, whereas the little screeing creatures tend to make it okay generally speaking. Well, uh, this little story now in the uh, Newswire. In this case, bigger was not better. The co-author of a new study says an ancient species of great ape that stood three meters tall and weighed up to 650 pounds was likely driven to extinction when climate change put their favorite fruits out of reach during dry seasons. The giant apes survived for about 2 million years in what is now China until the environment began to change. By studying pollen and sediment samples in caves along with fossil teeth, they were able to deduce that forests started producing fewer fruits around 600,000 years ago and that the giant apes likely went extinct sometime between uh, 20, uh, uh, sorry, 215,000 and 295,000 years ago. They don't name the great ape in this particular article, but I happen to know, having Googled, that it is the Gigantopithecus. And the pictures of it uh, show, yes, a massively huge ape, the biggest great ape that's ever lived. And uh, it is uh, kind of looks a bit like a combination of a gorilla and orangutan. I love, 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 love anything like that. Apes, gorillas. I want to Google that now myself just so I can see a picture. Massive animals Mm -hmm. by the looks of it. I'm looking at in particular one here, a little graphic showing, you know, your average. Oh, (laughs) no, it's not an average human. It happens to be Chewbacca. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the, there's a scale on a particular graph here, like you're supposed to know these things, unless you're a Star Wars fan, I suppose. It's showing uh, the uh, the size range between an eastern lowland gorilla, Chewbacca, <laughs> and the Gigantopithecus, which is considerably larger than Chewbacca. <laughs> so imagine that now, if you will. <laughs> Even as a shape like Chewbacca. That's amazing. Oh, my. Where has time gone life gone <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh if you're uh you know oversized uh beware <laughs> climate no, change is gonna uh, be in problem. terms of stature and the yeah. like um so yeah it, we're talking about uh, you know the the really big animals this is you know come on it's much bigger than Chewbacca. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there you go. Uh, word to the wise? I don't know. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be, as I said, we'll be back tomorrow. And um, we'll keep you up to date on everything. Uh, again, that back up, backlog of traffic, Outer Ring Road between uh, the Team Guju turnoff and the Pippi Park turnoff westbound backed up beyond Portugal, uh, Portugal Cove. Cove Road, so be aware of that uh, and you might want to take an alternate route, but expect some slowdowns. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.